Hello and welcome to the B Team Podcast. My name is John Macy. Tonight I am joined by Justin Ayotte. They never told you life was going to be this way. R.I.P. Matthew Perry. Milos. Remember, remember, the 1st of November, gunpowder. Okay. And uh, making his triumphant return after a seven-month absence, Mr. Brent Perry. Welcome back, sir. Hi, everybody. I told my luggage the other day that I couldn't afford to travel this year, and now I have emotional baggage. <laughs> Dad joke power, <laughs> nice. Okay. Um, well, I had to start off with something on my way back. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we are here to uh, dip back into the Be Kind Rewind series and uh, do something that's going to be a little topical for today. Um, 2005's V for Vendetta. Um, Milos, you've been lobbying for us to do this for at least a year. Three years? Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and And we were trying to time it so that we could release it on the 5th um and i think last year we just kind of forgot about it like you brought it up and we just sort of forgot about it um well we forgot well, about it and then i think there was a disney plus show that we were all like okay this has to be talked about right now <laughs> yeah i think it was like andor or something it was yeah, something was, yeah i think that was when andor was yeah last year about this time um so yeah we're finally getting to this uh starring hugo weaving natalie portman Stephen Ray, Stephen Fry, and John Hurt. Um, so, yeah, uh, I guess we can start off by mentioning this was a an adaptation of an Alan Moore graphic novel, um, which I have not read. I don't know if anyone here has. I have. Um, I own it, and I love it. Nah, I haven't hmm. read it. Okay. It's Alan Moore... It's if you like Alan Moore, you'll like V for Vendetta. If you think he's just overrated, it's just another Alan Moore story. But like, I actually like a lot of what Alan Moore used to do back in like the late 80s, early 90s, when he was like really taking a cynical look at like everything in the world and just kind of writing around that. And this is very much one of those. Yeah, I'm kind of like um, wishy washy on him. Uh, some mm -hmm. stuff I like, some stuff I don't. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've always meant to like read it. Um, I think it was on like Kindle unlimited for a while, but I just like forgot to like read it essentially. So, mm -hmm. but I'll, I'll eventually get to it. It's solid. Yeah. It's it, the movie. The movie is a pretty solid adaptation. So you're not really losing a whole lot of what he was saying in the book from to the screen, but it's, yeah, yeah, it's worth reading. Like I say, if you, if you like Watchmen and stuff like that from him, like, you probably enjoy this. If you didn't, then well, this one's probably not going to really register too high on your list. So, yeah, I like watching. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, and... then, then this one should be all right because it's the same idea. Like, what happens if the government is a corrupt fucking bunch of shit, and your heroes are more gray than actually shining light heroes? And it's 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 got all the Alan Mooreisms. Hmm. Uh. Now, anyone who knows Mister Moore's history to any degree knows that he also fairly regularly shits on the adaptations of anything that he makes. Um, there is nothing that has been ad ad adapted from his work that he's actually ever said a nice word about, I'm sure. Like, I don't think yeah. I've ever seen one thing where he's given no. any credit. I went, I went into the, the back research on this to, you know, cause I, I knew knowing this guy that there had to be something that he hated this adaptation for. Um, 
So, and Brent, you've read the comic, so you can support whether this is true or not. Uh, his, I guess his problem with this movie was the fact that he wrote the comic as a commentary on, like, 80s Margaret Thatcher England. Uh-huh. And he basically felt that while it was still set in England and all the people involved were British, it's basically a commentary on American politics of the time. Yes, and very much Bush. <laughs> Baby yes. Bush. Yes. And uh, I heard a couple of interviews where he said, like, they were too sympathetic on the V character. And I was just like, wow, because they really didn't make him an overly nice character in this. Like, no, you no, like him because of what the end of it is. But, like, he does some pretty shitty things in this. And Alan Moore said they didn't go far enough into those shitty things. And it's like, dude, like, you're just yeah. a fucking masochist, aren't you? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I felt was interesting, and I guess we can get this out of the way now, uh, Hugo Weaving was not the original actor for V. Um, mm-hmm. He actually re- he actually replaced uh, James Purefoy, who, mm-hmm. from everything I had read, had a problem with acting in the mask and just he, Yes, he started bitching that like there should be a, at least one scene of FaceTime, and that's not in the book. V is a it's he's. He's an idea, not a person. And that was what they were trying to tell the actor. And he just wasn't getting it. So they were like, all right, this isn't going to go well. This is going to be a fight the whole way. So we'll just go with someone else. And they went with Hugo Weaving, who was pretty hot at the time, coming off the Matrix and the Lord of the Rings movies. So, yeah, not a terrible choice. He killed it. He nailed it. Again, he's got a great voice for this. Didn't the Wachowskis write the screenplay? The Wachowskis wrote the screenplay for this, too. I'm uh, yep. not sure if they wrote the entire screenplay, but they definitely came in to doctor it up at some point. Like, yeah, that's, they're yeah. they're in the uh, credits. Well, technically, it still says the Wachowski brothers, but well, that was well, yeah. again 2005. Yeah. Was, this was I before. I was trying to acknowledge that without pulling it out. <laughs> but, yeah, well, they were who they were. It's credited as what it's credited as. That's not us being assholes. That's I'm just, just. I'm just surprised they didn't go back and change it because I think they changed it on a few things. Uh, I have the I have the Blu-ray. That's though, a whole so different that, conversation. That <laughs> yeah, that's I, that's a whole another conversation for another day. <laughs> I watched that Max. I'm sure. If but yeah, I don't. I don't. Movies, maybe I, they have changed that. But yeah, like I don't know if they were the original people who came in and did the first adaptation of it, but they definitely did enough that yeah, like it mostly counts as them. Like it's just one of those things where I'm not sure what step they came in on for sure. But they were they were involved pretty early, and this was still when they were actually doing like really reasonably well for writing scripts and not just their own personal politics and beliefs. Well, they had just done the uh, they had just done the Matrix trilogy. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. but I mean, you you look at like some of the stuff they've done in recent years, like since they've been the Wachowski sisters, and like they they mix a lot of their own personal politics into their stuff, and some of it just doesn't hit the way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and this is before like the colossal bomb of Speed Racer and and shit like Cloud Hmm. Atlas, right? (laughs) Yes, yes. We need we need we need them to redo Speed Racer. We need a true. No, we don't. Well, we don't need Speed them. We don't need them to do it, but I think Speed Racer no. would be cool to come back at some point. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, that's um, that's one character that doesn't get enough credit. That was one of the very first Japan anime like animes that came over and was imported into America. That and I think Astro Boy. Anime. Well, Japan anime, right? That's I've always I called it that. Is that is I that a thing? Yeah, I used to call it that too. Uh, 
I know it's just called anime. I've always called it Japan anime because it's from Japan and it's anime and it's yeah, it's just it's one of those like Pokemon's things, right? It's just you you use it as a way to pick on people who are super sensitive over like eh, don't make fun of my thing I like. <laughs> like, oh God, I miss having you on these. <laughs> well, but like it's so harmless that like anybody that bitches about that is like really just grow up, bud. Like I'm a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. If you can't make fun of yourself, you're never going to be able to make fun of anybody. So shut up and fucking suck it up. <laughs> now I had a I had a funny thought about weaving while watching this, which you know is only with the context of what he would go on to do later, right? So. He comes in and replaces this guy Purefoy because Purefoy doesn't like doing stuff in the mask. How many years are we away from uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, where he bitched so much about the Red Skull makeup that he said he never wanted to do that again? Uh, yep. What was that? Seven years, roughly? From, from the time yeah. he started filming? <laughs> yeah, well, it, it came out in 11. So yeah. that was, it was like, what, five, five six years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that would have been I six years if this was 05, yeah. No, it is. It's... It as I was going through it. But then again, when you, when you look at the mask for this, it's literally just a Halloween mask and a wig. Mm. When you look at the prosthetics he had to do for Red Skull, you can kind oh, of yeah. see why he was um, like, I, I don't want to yeah. do this all the time. It's definitely so. a valid argument. I just thought it was funny. Um, yeah. Oh, so. well, it's, it's one of those things that like, oh, they're completely fine with it this year, but then once they kind of get their face to be the selling point, then it's like, well, I kind of want my face on the screen. It's like, ah, uh, see, everybody mm -hmm. hits it at some point. Except for Carl yep. Urban. He, he's the only one who never, ever complained and seems like he'd go back to wearing a mask an entire movie if he had to. Oh, like the, the Dread movie where he never takes the helmet off? Yeah. He, you literally see him in silhouette, put it on at the start of the movie, and it never comes off. And he's like, there's mm -hmm. not very many actors in any kind of masked role that you can say that about yeah uh okay so i guess we can uh go through the plot in broad strokes uh i'm trying in general to not bog down on plot so much but that's generally where we get a lot of the best digressions that we always have um so as as i understand it from the research i did this movie takes place largely in, somewhere in the 2030s um it's vague but yes it's it's it, a, a couple of decades in the future from when he wrote it, which would have been like, like mid nineties, early nineties. Right. I don't know when he wrote this. This one might even came out in like 88, 89. But point mm -hmm. is like, he wrote it to be like roughly two or three decades ahead. He never really like pinned down a timeline, but it's roughly like now. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to see if I can find publication date somewhere. Uh, like, uh... But like his whole like mindset for like basing it twenty years it's, from where he was uh, was like eighty eight, eighty nine. Okay, that's exactly what I thought. Mm -hmm. That's once I started thinking about it, I was like, no, this was one of his earlier, earlyish ones. But um, yeah, his whole yeah. mindset was like when he wrote it, it would have been Poppy Bush back then, wouldn't it? Or he would have been like um, the, the front runner making the push for the next well, election. Like, I'm looking at Wikipedia, which you know, grain of salt and all that, and it says. Dates of public 12 issues, original publication, 10 issues, dates of publication, March 1982 to May 1989. Yeah, I'm looking oh. now. It looks like it was published as an ongoing serial in yeah, a British a long, anthology. It then took a long it was, time to finish. But. Yeah, then it was completed by DC Comics. So I guess it was originally from 82 to 85 in a British and then, anthology and called then compiled. Warrior. And 
um yeah. dc and then, I guess, then compiled the into it. its own graphic and then yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. which okay so okay. 82 who would have been who would have been president then that would have been reagan that would have been ronnie reagan oh ronnie so yeah this would have been right around like the iran contras and seeing like how authoritarian some of like then it would john said earlier it was based on like margaret thatcher in britain more so than america but like he was looking at the mindset of like look at all these countries and like what happens if they go authoritarian to the point of like soviet russia you know what i mean so like when he yeah. he tried to basically look at like where the world was and like what's the worst case scenario 30 years from now and that's basically how you get the landscape of where we're at in v for vendetta when we start Hmm. Okay. Uh, okay. So kind of set, as you said, some indeterminate point into the future from when it was released. And, uh, there has been some sort of massive plague in the United States, which has essentially decimated the United States, which gets mentioned a couple of times, but this is largely a British film. So there it's basically just, that's mentioned as periphery. And there was some sort of, uh, bioweapon attack in London at some prior point in the story, which has led to an authoritarian uh, government basically running the entire country, led by uh, High Chancellor Adam Sutler, played by John Hurt. Um, R.I.P. to that absolute legend of an actor. <laughs> like, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> he nails uh, this role. And then, like, but he can go from something like this where he's like Iron Fist authoritarian, like scary kind of fucking authoritarian, to like something like yeah. Harry Potter where he's like this happy go lucky little wand maker, to like the war doctor where he's got a dark side, but he still has that like hurt felt streak. Like, man, that guy could do it all. Like, we should actually do Day of the Doctor before Power of the Doctor. I, I would be thought. all in for Day of the Doctor because that is a. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, how about we do that this weekend instead of Power of the Doctor? Yeah, we've got I'm some, fine with that. We've got some time for, got some time for that. Um, yeah, we've got like three we weeks. Also do, we should also do Day of the Dumpster. <laughs> uh, like a Darby Shell Kids movie or something? No, it's yeah, Power Rangers. One of the, it's the yeah. opening episode of Power Rangers. Yeah, yeah, it's a series premiere of Power Rangers. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. It was... Because, yeah, the dumpster hits the moon and Rita and her goons come out, and that's, oh, shit, hey, we're going to need some fucking shitty-ass teenagers to save the world. And it's like, oh, Zordon. Got to get my <laughs> reference in here. Zordon yeah. was definitely smoking crack the day he came up with the brilliant plan of getting high school kids to save the world. Every fucking show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know I love you guys. <laughs> so, yeah, so we have this whole... We have this whole, you know, Britain's this authoritarian country with this guy played by John Hurt screaming about, you know, uh, uh, unity and all this stuff. And they have, you know, state approved media. It's basically, you uh -huh. know, Nazi, Nazi Party 101, you know. Well, um, the sad thing is, if you look at the way, like, and I'm not going to say they're all true or they're, but like some of the Twitter files that came out and like, the way the FBI was used to cover certain things that they didn't want said about certain topics at certain times. Alan Moore actually came really close on this. And like looking at the way, like 
looking at the way like my country's political leader right now, like look at him. He's always on there and he sounds like he's, oh, and it's for compassion and it's for a good reason. And then he's like the worst tyrant to his own people. And it's John Hurt nailed that. And again, that was, that was basically the way Alan Moore was looking at things. Like what if these leaders who like say they're for this, this, and this, but are obviously bald face lying, like what happens if you multiply that two generations? And that's, he actually predicted quite a lot, right? Even though we're not yeah. in a complete dystopia, like this movie is entirely he does have a lot of the right sentiment to a lot of the a lot of the political fucking commentary he was making on both sides of the aisle right like yep now i will mm-hmm. say uh this is watching you know the pre-watch i usually do for anything that we that we're gonna that we're gonna pod um this is probably the second time i've ever seen this after uh the initial theatrical release back in 05 during which I was during which I was 28 and, you know, not not that I'm not especially political now either, but um, but you can't help um, see it when you get older, like the older yeah. you get, the more you <laughs> notice it in your daily life. Right. That's, at that time, I saw it as like this cool little action movie with some political undertones to it. But watching it on mm-hmm. Sunday, I was just like, fuck, this is scary how close we are to this right now. <laughs> yep. Like um, he might be a kooky yeah. guy. He might be a really like cantankerous man, but Alan Moore, he's almost prophetic in some of his stuff. Like even like, even when you read like the Watchmen and like some of his Batman stuff is like, there's a lot of stuff that like he, you can tell he was thinking of like how, where does the future go? If all this stuff like just doubles down instead of actually cleaning itself up. Like, and yeah, <laughs> like I said, it's, he's scarily prophetic at times. I mean, think about it. He so, kind of predicted, not predicted COVID, but like predicted what would happen, you know, well, that there would be something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Yep. But I mean, that's, that's point. always, but you think of it like if the world is like an animal, an organism, right? How does like a cat get rid of fleas? You know what I mean? Like eventually yeah. it shakes them off. Like it's body, to, it's blood will turn sour to the fleas. The flea will jump off it and go to another host. And that's basically the earth does that to people all the time. It's always coming up with diseases to try and get rid of us. Cause we're assholes to it. Right. <laughs> uh, yep. So then, you know, we're introduced to uh, Evie Hammond played by Natalie Portman in one of the few <laughs> movies I've seen her in recently where she actually gives a shit. So, well, again, um, this is this is what twenty years ago, so it's not really recent. <laughs> but no, this, but I mean, we have. We I've have had a term open... for. I've had a yeah, term for ahead. years called called Willising, which I had to change because poor Bruce Willis is not doing well. Like when he thinks it's a movie worth Bruce Willis, he's one of the best actors in the world. When he thinks it's something for just a paycheck, he really just kind of coasts his way through. And Natalie Portman's been doing that her entire career. Like mm-hmm. she didn't give a shit in Star Wars. She did uh what one did you win the Oscar for? Not Black Dahlia. Uh Black Swan. Black Swan. That's the one. Yes. And like acted her ass off in it. Right? And then she goes and does like the Thor movies where like the first one she was kind of yeah, she was mostly invested. But by the time you get to the second one, she just didn't care. So again, mm-hmm. like then you see her do this, which like you could tell by the writing on it was like they thought this was going to go for Oscar push. So you, she's well, like well, really, really trying in this, and like she's a perfect actress in it. Like if she did more, if she put the effort into every role that she did into this one, she'd be top of the fucking. She'd be the biggest female actress right now. Like 
Oh yeah, no, she's definitely her, like for me. Her at, standout performances are still obviously this one and uh, Leon Professional. Those two mm-hmm. are like that's like mm-hmm. Natalie Portman. The otherwise, like I'm not really uh, fond of her. I would say, but I hear yeah. But I mean, you look at something like Jane's Got Gun. I don't think I ever no. saw that. Hmm. Oh, Jane's Got Gun is terrible. And, like, yeah. she doesn't care. The script doesn't care. Nobody cared. And they were like, oh, this is going to win awards because it's the first female-led action movie in, like, however many years. Ugh. Yeah. Also, Jennifer Lawrence, Natalie Portman beat you to it. <laughs> yeah, but no, she's, she's actually excellent in this, and I had almost she really forgot. Is. I I hadn't seen anything where she was good in so long that I was like, wow, I forgot she could even do this. Holy but God, I mean, she's playing really off, of, and she's playing off two extremely good actors in um, Hugo Weaving and Stephen Fry, who are like the only two she really interacts with for most of the movie, right? Mm. Right. But yeah. like both of them, Very like much. you can tell, like she enjoys being in the scenes with them because they're putting in the effort, right? Like. So she's trying to match them on screen and like everything just there's only four or five real actors that like have any amount of time in this movie and they all absolutely crush it. Yep, absolutely. Yep. And I think it's smart. It's smart for this not to be a it's smart for this not to be a movie with a huge cast or anything, because then you can really uh-huh. focus on those couple of people and the performances and stuff. And well, it's the it performances. Has- it's what each character represents as an aspect of like how you look at society too. Right. So like you can distill it down while like you don't need a thousand different viewpoints, but you do get enough viewpoints from each angle that you're like, okay, I can kind of see where that side's coming from. I can see where that side's coming from. And like, yeah, they do, they don't, stereotype any side they actually give each one its own kind of justified reason to have that opinion and like you can you don't have to agree with it but you can at least follow the path of logic that that character gets from their world outlook on the situation right yeah yep so uh we're introduced to her as she's trying to get to a a dinner meeting with her uh, supervisor she works for a tv network basically um mm-hmm. and and uh yeah it's like it's like the new version of like the BBC or whatever yeah it's, like well, it's w- the the state media yeah yeah, yeah. WTN or something. well that's what the BBC is well yep yeah, again scarily prophetic <laughs> yep uh but she gets uh accosted by um essentially the secret police of the society called the Fingermen uh for being out after curfew or, <laughs> or what. Yeah, that's that's one they would have changed the name if they were to do it today. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, probably. Yeah. Didn't yeah. even think of that. Beware, beware of the finger man. <laughs> Didn't even think of that. So then she gets she's basically going to be gang raped by these dudes. And um so uh Well, yeah, police in a police state like under authoritarian control where they have no checks or balances again scarily prophetic yep right like Uh, like you see the horror stories of what police do to people today well that's what was about to happen (laughs) like so uh she gets saved by uh this guy in a in a guy fox outfit who calls himself v carries a bunch of knives around beats the crap out of these dudes and has one of the best 
Okay, no, go ahead. Oh, is that the is that the speech for all the three words? Oh, it, yeah. He he does. Yeah. You're you're telling first, and then when he gets to there, it's yeah. After he yeah. kicks the shit out of them, he introduces himself with like an unbelievable paragraph of mostly V words, and it's fucking perfect. And Hugo Weaving okay. delivers it like I don't know how many oh. takes he had to try oh, to get yeah. that because it had to be hard because there's some weird like with a vexing vivification of the fuck, and it's like holy crap, how are you spitting all this out without twisting your words like? It, that well, that is a standout line in this movie. Like, if there's any clip that I'd like to be able to just like pull up once in a while and just be like, oh, that's the one." Like, yeah, I mean that it is it is a wonderful speech, and it probably did take a couple takes to get through it. The positive of that is, given that he's doing this entire movie in a mask, he's probably ADRing all that shit. Yep, it's I was like, I was which, about to say that. I was but about even to say still, they probably went back and just did ADR on it if it didn't come out correctly. But even still, like you write that paragraph down and look at how many letters are the same in some of those words, and he doesn't jumble them yeah. or repeat a word twice. Oh, yeah, like yeah, it, it, it had to have taken like that wasn't just one simple line read. Like that that one took some work. Yeah. So he takes her to. Um, so he basically it starts with you know she basically comes upon him when he's like trying to bomb a building. Well, okay, she makes a report that kind of criticizes the chancellor, and that's why the secret police go after her in the first place he tells her like you can't go back to your old life what that's not in the movie is it that's in the comic probably that okay i thought there's the yeah. opening report she does you at the tv station the movie. you just see her walking <laughs> the, the movie the movie guys. is supposed to steven fry's going to steven mm, okay Okay, yeah, but yeah, okay. In the in the comic, in the comic, she does actually, and it's not even like a harsh criticism. She's just like, um, I didn't we see something different with our own eyes from what he just said, and basically that was enough to send them after her in the first place. It's, I thought that was still in the movie, but it has been a while since I watched it. I was, I kind of just kind of yeah. jumped in here last minute. So yeah, in your defense, no, you I didn't think I think it was pretty much like, uh, like she was like basically wanting to bang Stephen Fry's character and. I think they were like, yeah, that can't happen. I don't even know if it was that or like she, I don't know that she really wanted to bang him, but I think it was just expected that. I think, yeah, I think he wanted to bang her. Oh, okay. Um, Oh, they kind of bring her on when you find out that he's and they go into the whole thing. Like the reason why, why did you over? Well, that's the reason why he makes it look. Yeah. Yeah, he makes it look like he's promiscuous with all the ladies around him because he doesn't want to get caught for being a gay man. And that's, again, scarily prophetic at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, she comes across V when he is also trying to, when he's going through the process of bombing a building. And then he uh, comes up, because he's basically, a, a, he's essentially viewed as a terrorist. And, um, well, he, he is. is. <laughs> like, but no, he definitely is. But I mean, this is definitely a society worth rebelling against, too. So, um, and like the whole idea of V is that he's an idea, not a person. And like he takes the like guise of Guy Fox because that is the idea that he represents that like the government mm-hmm. is corrupt, and the only way to ever change anything is if somebody makes a stand. And sometimes you might only be that one drop of water in the bucket but that causes the ripples that actually make the change. And that's, he's the living embodiment of an idea. So for possibly for our younger audience who might not know this, uh, Guy Fawkes was a British dude 
who uh, basically tried to blow up Parliament in the was it the 1700s? Uh, uh, I think so. I thought it was the 1870s. Oh, six. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know the exact it. year. I just I know Guy Fox was big because Parliament was being extremely corrupt. The people were suffering. They were becoming richer and richer. And basically, he was the symbol of change to get the people to go, "Hey, yeah, he's right. You guys are fucking us over. This ain't right." Yeah. Like, um, and because English democracy, British democracy, which is what the basis of American and Canadian democracy is from, is. It's all that, like, it's representative government. Like, the government is only there because it's supposed to be the voice of the people. And once it stops being the voice of the people, then what point do the people stand up and go, hey, this is fucking horseshit? Yeah. Right? And that's that's what the idea of Guy Fox has always represented since he tried to blow up Parliament. And that's what V's whole, whole character is, is that he's not actually a person because he was never treated as a person. He was born in a cage, raised as a fucking lab rat, and then once he got out, he was just the embodiment of the idea that, hey, you corrupt governments can only become uncorrupt when the gov- when the people are woken up and told there can be a change if you stand up for one. Which, right. again, eerily prophetic. Yep. So he <laughs> basically, he blows up this building, and then he, uh, not, he lets Natalie Portman go, and then you see the next day she goes back to her job, and it's interesting, Brent, that you said she must have in the comics. She must have some sort of like actual position as like a reporter or a producer or something. In the movie, she's basically just a gopher, like she's just fetching coffee for fucking people. Um, and then uh, V shows up at the the TV station to make like a to like hijack the signal and make like a statement of like, yeah, I blew up that building last night, and a year from now I'm gonna blow up Parliament. Or, or I'll do that if a year from now a bunch of people stand with me and say that's what they want, basically. Um, mm-hmm. But the the police in this society are already looking for her because they know she was sort of involved with something where a bunch of these fingerman dudes got their asses kicked. So they have another confrontation at this TV station, and he basically takes her with him because he can't think of anything else to do with her. And I think he's afraid oh. that if she's left on her he own. He kind of his life, and then he's like, they know, he knows there, so he's like, yep. Oh, that's right. Well, and, and again, there's more to it psychologically. Like, when she saves him, he realizes that when he's not around, somebody else has to be the, the embodiment of the idea, and her just being defiant enough to be nice enough to save someone she doesn't know shows that she's probably the best choice that he's got to be the continuation of the idea once he's gone. Right. Really deep. So, like, so he lives in like an old subway tunnel or something. He has like this whole yeah. compound in a, in a subway, like a tube tunnel or something mm-hmm. where, where he's got a bunch of like, and this is where the, the movie gets into like how a lot of like popular media is contraband because the, this society wants to control what people are seeing and whatever. Also, as you've been saying over and over, oddly prophetic mm-hmm. right now. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so, um, so he basically tells her, okay, well, I, you know, I'm going to blow up parliament in a year until then, because every, uh, this whole 
all these secret police are looking for you. You're just going to sit here for that whole time. And um, she's basically like, there's no fucking way you can do that. Like, that's just a fucking weirdly, like, never achievable goal, basically, is like her idea of it. But like, he's so captivating. And like, the way he tells her his plan, like, he he's actually a likable character in a lot of ways. Like, even though he's basically got her a prisoner and like there's a whole Stockholm syndrome fucking thing that goes on in the plot here. Like it's a really weird movie because like even the good guy is like very not good. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in this one, you can definitely not use the words like bad guy and good guy. Cause it's very gray area for all of them. Well, um, the, you know, the chancellor but, like, is like the bad the, guy. Like, yeah, but other like than the that protagonist, I guess like, you know, the protagonist, even though it's supposed to be essentially like, somebody who's essentially mostly good like mm -hmm. honestly you well, know depending on how depending on how you see it i mean they're both bad you know well, like that's just you know it like I mean? he you know, is it's, the kind of like bad or worse he is the ultimate <laughs> yep. alan moore anti-hero hmm. right like where yep. like even like you look you look through watchmen with like characters like rorschach where like okay mm -hmm. he's kind of the protagonist but he's definitely an anti-hero but even then mm -hmm. he's like really extreme for even an anti-hero and like v is like all of that distilled into one fucking ball of an idea of a character right yeah 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 um so while that's going on he you know he she's in this confinement and um he is trying to you find that he's going out and murdering specific people uh he kills the the um the like public face of the state media a guy named the propaganda Bob agent yeah yeah who's like i kept thinking of like bill o'reilly as i was watching yeah. uh, kind of back then it probably would have been more of a rush limbaugh kind of analog yeah uh, you could even say pierce morgan in a lot of ways yes yes definitely like, <laughs> Well, even Alex Jones wasn't this. Yeah. <laughs> drills. Hey, frogs. Uh, yeah. The sad thing uh, is Alex Jones probably would have been like the V character, if not like a less gay Stephen Fry character almost, if you're trying to analog it to today. Like, it's a weird, I don't know. Like, again, yeah. it's such a, like, it's, it's such a well done movie that like, even the sides <laughs> that you don't necessarily agree with have enough like nuance and like, reason behind it that you're like okay i don't agree with it but i can understand it like i i scared i scared sarah doing my uh my alex jones impression <laughs> oh, well i mean she, was, she wasn't sure if it was that or the big one <laughs> well Wait, she thought i mean i think so i don't know I mean when if you listen to alex jones that is basically the talking version of what you think a heart attack would be that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love uh, imitating I mean, him, so I'm I'm always like imitating him like all the time. To a, oh, that's the like uh, oh, he's he's retarded, but he is entertaining. Like there's he's in, infinitely yeah, quotable. You know, he's, he's got this great voice, and you know, it really gets kind of like gravelly, and uh, you know, you gotta gotta my, uh, drop, like yeah. You no, know, you got to get my uh. uh my testosterone uh, stuff here on Infowars.com. Infowars.com. The best line I ever heard that man say was on Joe Rogan. He goes, Joe Rogan, I want to tell you something. <laughs> it's like, yep. What was he doing? His best Hulk Hogan? I believe Holy it. Christ. 
Oh, the guy like infinitely quotable. Like he's hilarious, but he is a giant fucking asshole. So it's like, uh, shit. <laughs> like I love, I love uh, when he starts talking and then he just kind of pauses, as if like his brain is like trying to figure out what the hell he's talking about. Oh, you and can see that like, four um, four Jesus. error all over his face. Yet, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, and then yeah, the old and then up noise when he's comes on up Rogan, he's always like, he's always like, Jamie, pull that up, Jamie, pull that up. <laughs> oh yeah, and he spits out like thirty-seven video on this website. You can pull it up, Jamie. And he'll spit out like thirty-seven different things. And Joe Rogan's just like, okay, "Slow down, we got to fact check you on some of this shit." Because like, yep. and then once it fact checks, like he's like seventy percent like right on hat, like almost all of it. And it's like scared. It's like the guy can see the future, but he can only see it if he's looking through a potato and everything's all fucking skewed up. Yeah. <laughs> right, like. Like oddly prophetic, but like, like okay, where the fuck? Like, how did you get there? Like, I don't follow the logic, but you're not wrong on the outcome. It's like, what the fuck? Oh my god! <laughs> now I'm picturing Alex Jones with a potato with a hole in it up to his eyes, to his eyes all day. And he just takes it down to record like a thirty seconds of the fucking rant, and then he puts it back up, and that's why you get that four oh four error. It's the changeover on the fucking oh clip. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> So I had I had a moment of confusion. I had a moment of confusion when Prothero died, only because I thought Prothero actually was. I again I haven't seen this movie in uh you know twenty some odd years or whatever now. Um, before last week, I actually thought Prothero was Stephen Fry. And I was like, wait a minute, I know he lives. What's going on here? <laughs> and then I realized, yeah, it was no, a they just. Guy. Yeah, the the actors are somewhat similar, especially if you're not familiar with Stephen Fry at the time. And like when this movie came out, no one really was. Like he he wasn't the psychiatrist yeah. on Bones. He wasn't the guy that was on, you know what I mean, speaking out against like this ridiculous, like overly progressive, like ch- change in language stuff. Like because like he's yeah. like diehard leftist, and like and he actually was one of the only him. And uh, he started speaking out about it mostly when they started going after, oh, Monty Python guy. Oh, fuck, what's his name? Uh, which one? Yeah, that's the the police. Who? Police. Don Cleese. Don Cleese. Yes, Don yes. When they started going after him for like, oh, he's offensive. His comedy shouldn't be heard. Like that's when Stephen Fry was like, no, offensive things need to be heard too. And like. Seeing him in this movie, like I, I don't know if he's actually acting or if he's just Stephen Fry. <laughs> yeah. So like, he try he kills he kills Prothero and the the scientist woman. Um uh-huh. and there were a couple and the priest. Uh well that's just it. He, he's taken out like basically if you if you compare it to like nowadays, he took out the press secretary who is like the propaganda minister. He took out the health minister, which would be like the Dr. Fauci character through COVID. You know what I mean? Like just that person that's like, okay, no matter what I say, it's always right. Even if I say the exact opposite of what I said the last time I was on TV. Right. Like again, Mm -hmm. like he took out like all of the heads of like the science minister was actually the one who was basically causing, creating the like chemical weapons that were hurting the people in the camps that were like, again this is more in the comics than it is in the actual movie but like there's a lot of little things like that where like everyone he took out was very strategic and they they played a they were bad people that deserved it but they were also like the heads of their department so like 
when you cut off the heads of the department, the new people that come in, it takes them a little while to adjust. So like a year long period, if he's killing off all the department heads, it's just, it's confusion and chaos in the structure of the government. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, so like, this is his, out... yeah, his Go whole ahead. goal, it, every, everything he's doing, everyone he's going after is really hurting the power structure of the chancellor's government, even though they don't say it as much in the movie as they probably should. Like, yeah. It's all strategic. It, it, like this, he's not just doing things randomly for the sake of violence or just, Oh, let's burn down this city for the sake of burning down a city. No, like everything he does is for a very good reason to weaken the government. So when he does make the, the big push for his plan, no one's ready for it. Even though he's on TV, like breaking into the airwaves to tell them, yeah, this is going to happen. Like get ready for it. Honestly, I don't during think a lot of, Honestly, sure. during a lot of this, it's almost like um, like the more interesting parts were the parts that they kind of breezed over and they kind of put them into like news like clips because everything you're saying sounds a lot more interesting than what was actually going on in the movie. And I feel well, like it, it is going on in the movie, but that. it it is going on in the movie, but it's done through like like you say, just a news clip here or like yeah. a one a one line somewhere in the background from someone mm-hmm. there. And like they focus a lot more and like th- this is where you can see the Wachowski's in it. They focus a lot more on the letters, which we're gonna get up to. Mm. And like the emotions yeah. and like the, the connecting to the people of the world kind of come through that more so than like what you're seeing in the movie. But a lot of that is yeah. happening like throughout the story in the comic right and that's why it took seven years or however long it took to actually finish publishing like yeah. he he was slow with it like it was only like once every six months but even still there was a lot of like there was a lot of building that was like building what the chancellor's whole government was like the strikes that v was making were they were showing how coordinated it was and then they had more time to do more of the personal stories with the letters in the comics too which is but yeah, in the movie, they do tend to focus more on the like emotional part of the movie being, and and they kind of glance over a lot of the stuff that really would make this a lot more full. Like, I'd like to see like if there was ever enough film to do a director's cut that added some of that stuff. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's interesting that you say that because to me, um, I guess you can view a lot of that stuff that way because it probably is in there to some degree but i kind of read a lot of that stuff as and i guess this is where we can bring this up that he goes after those four particular people at least in terms of this movie more because they were running like the the prison camp facility where he was where he was incarcerated and he was experimenting on or something and well the the scientist lady for sure is that but like Again, by the time he goes after her, she's not just working in the lab. She's the one that's in charge of all of the labs that are doing this to other people. So, like, yeah, she she advanced in her job as well. So, like, when he takes her out, it's not just pure revenge. It is actually very strategic. Yep. But it, it in the movie, it just kind of reads, it read to me like just he wanted revenge on these particular people for their roles in the, the thing that he was kept in and and what and the people that were behind why he was experimented on i didn't get any of this like he's undermining sutler's government by doing any of this mm-hmm. and that's but again that's you're, you're viewing him you're viewing him in this movie more through the eyes of 
Natalie Portman too, right? So like right. she thinks that this is all him just going out and getting revenge because he's got these weird powers when really she doesn't even see that no, like what he's doing is actually strategic to get to the end goal, which yeah. Again, like right. uh, I I miss when things were actually thought through when they were written. Fuck. Also, you could yeah. really see like the Wachowskis in this because there's a lot of like matrixy like um like action. action in it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when they do the action scenes and he does the stuff with the knives. When he does um, the knife fight when he's everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah when it does the, the end there. Yeah, the slow-mo and like the slight bends out of the way. It's yeah, it's very, very yeah. influenced by them for sure. The trails behind the knives when he throws them and stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And you also have that, this and but that was again really especially, but especially he kills the crew. Like that was, yes. He's like, you know, the slow motion. But there he's just damn. But this is before every movie did it. So it's still, I can't say it was like completely fresh at this point. It was like right at that turnover where, okay, this might be getting used too much, but this was like still a good use of it. So no one really complained about this one. Yeah. yeah but like, even like, now, this is like six years out from the you know, almost, almost uh, years late. I'm watching it and I'm, I'm still a lot more than I'd say. I, I, like I was movie a couple of times apps release, but it's like, Every time I watch a movie, as an age of the day, in my opinion, I enjoy it every time that I watch and, it. And, and the weird thing with this movie is, like, the more you watch it and the older you get and the more the world is turning out the way the world is turning out, it's like, it has more and more, like, relevance every time now. And it's like, holy shit, mm-hmm. like, Alan Moore really yep. did, like, hit a lot of things, like, on the fucking head. And it's like, like he was trying to tell people, like, now's the time to change. If you don't do it now, 20 years from now, we're going to be, it's going to be, like, too late. And you're looking at some of the stuff happening, and it's like, wow, was he right? Like, fuck. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a scared. It's also helped by the fact that there's nothing in it in particular that assigns it to a particular time period. It's just, mm-hmm. like, they're not using, like clunky phones where you're like oh this was clearly made in 1993 or whatever because the phone is the size of cleveland right yeah i mean there's really nothing in this that assigns it to and i think that's also smart like why they never say you know i i read you know back stuff that said the comic's supposed to be set a couple decades from when he originally wrote it there's Mm -hmm. nothing in the movie that actually gives you a year or a time period or whatever, you could basically assign it wherever you want. Um, no, it's just vaguely like not too distant future. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. It, I think like, uh, when I was reading some of the summary online, I think it said like, you know, like essentially like in the book, it was supposed to take place in like the nineties, but like, obviously if it takes place in like the two thousands, you know, for the movie, you know, it probably takes place around now. Yeah. 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 Roughly, like, but, like, he he always, like, anytime anyone could get an, like, interview where he wasn't completely cantankerous towards them, he always said, like, it's vaguely, like, what happens if where we're at now progresses a generation or two, so, like, say, roughly 20 years, 30 years from the 80s, like, there was never really a set time, but, like, that's kind of what his mindset was for, like, how he was looking at the way the governments could go for his dystopia here, like, yep, so... So yeah, like it's just weird because like now that we're like roughly at that point in time and looking at like, it's not a one for one comparison, but there is a lot of Mm -hmm. things where it's like, yeah, he wasn't wrong on that. That has gotten worse. It's not to where he said it would be by year, but like it is 
it is more on that path than not. In Here's a lot of in I a lot did. of the stuff that he talks about, it's it's just it's creepy, like seeing how good writers could be back then, and then like looking at stuff now, and it's just like, oh, you guys have no idea, like. You just don't know how to do even like a, a strong message for whatever you believe in, like Alan Moore used to do. Like, yeah, it's just the pandaverse. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I haven't watched that yet. I need to. Um, uh, I watched I'd, it the other I'd, night. I'd like to do a podcast on that one if if possible, because yeah, there's some stuff funny. to talk about, and like it's relevant to well, like why like yeah, we can do that it's relevant to our like state of Disney or state of star Wars or like all of those kinds of pods that we've done. Like, cause basically they hit every note that we've been complaining about or saying like, why? And then they kind of yeah. try and play it a little bit fair and they blame the fans in between. And like some of it, I agree with, but other parts I'm like, Hmm, I think they were like mandated to like soften up on a soft couple spots. And I, I have thoughts. Yeah. I, I would like to actually go into depth on that one. Yeah, maybe we'll do that next week. That sounds like a good idea. I can watch that this weekend, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's so, only an hour and ten or yeah. something, so it's, it's not yeah, ridiculously nah, long. Like Forty eight minutes. Is that all? Okay. Yeah, at least on Paramount, that's what it is. Because there's no yes, well, yeah, cause, cause, commercials. Because I I thought it should be yeah three half hour episodes chunked together. So like whatever the hour and yeah. 20 would have been would have been three if yeah, yeah that's that's where I got those yeah were, those were made for Paramount I think. Yeah, they were, but it's also it's also planned that like they can cut it into however many episodes yeah. and run it whenever. Like they have a side deal with Paramount to do those, I think. Um, yeah, but the, but then yeah, they yeah, are I allowed. Think, I think some of the now now the show is on like Max. Um, yeah. So like I don't know I don't know how it is I don't know if they license it out to Max and then well, they, they, do they the have an ex- Paramount. They, I think they, they have an exclusive Paramount Plus was a thing. They have an exclusive deal with Paramount that so much content gets made for them per year. They still do the regular series on Comedy Central, and then I think HBO has its own however many specials, and it doesn't have to all be South Park specials from them. Uh, something no, along no, those lines. No Max, no, Max has like the actual show, so it has like back seasons. Oh, yeah, well, so, that, that, like, that's just where yeah. they're aggregating it, but it's still first right yeah. to air is still Comedy Central with it. But Yeah. yeah. So... I think so. This the thing where he kills anyway. the priest, and the thing where he kills the priest, and he uses Portman as like you know, she pretends to be like a teenage prostitute to get this guy's attention because apparently he's into young girls and whatever. Um, so this is this whole thing, not the not that act, but what, what follows. <laughs> and again, it. for for when this was written, ten years later, oddly prophetic. <laughs> Well, that had already been yeah. going on in religious. Yeah, but the, the, it didn't really break in the news until like early to mid '90s is when the first trickles of that really started getting out, right? And then by yeah, the time '98, and... 2000 hit, that was a wide open like, "Hey, look how many it was!" Not just the fact that, "Hey, I think this is happening." And then when you talk about politicians and stuff, now you got the whole Epstein stuff. You know what I mean? Well, that's yeah. yeah. And the Boston Globe Catholic Church thing. Well, that's yep. that's what I mean. That's and that story is what I'm talking about. About like oddly prophetic. And we, do, and we could do and we could do spotlight someday just based on that if we want. Yeah, to. and like, yes. but that's the thing. Like he, when he was writing this, he didn't have 
stories. He was just like, hey, you know what? I I heard a couple stories of the church being really fucking slimy, and like I'm going to write about it. And people got mad at him for like, oh, how dare you take a shot at the church like that? They'd never do that. And again, yeah. the time that it was written compared to nowadays, it's oh. like, well, he was he wasn't wrong. Yeah. Hello. So. Okay. Um, oh, I thought I thought Milos was saying something there. Yeah, he started. Yeah. He started I think I think he keeps breaking up. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not hearing him. So. Yeah. Um. So. Well, while we're trying to get well, him I'm back, here, here's, here's a question for you. Oh. oh, oh yeah. Okay. Oh, go ahead. Go, Justin. <laughs> go ahead. We're we're leaving oh. you an opening. Go. Well, all right then. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So, my, right, well, my... anyway, uh, quick, quick thing though. Um, Natalie Portman's accent did, did that bother anybody else? No. In and out. There was parts no? of it where I was completely fine with it, but then there were some words or some lines that she delivered, and I was like, "Ooh, you could have got a better take on that." But it didn't yeah. take me out of the movie or anything. It wasn't so off-putting that I was like, "Meh," but. Because she is really good here, but I guess I was also like, why couldn't you just hire a British person to do this? Exactly. Uh, well, yeah. When everybody else in your cast is. But, yeah, maybe. Me, I, like, I I get putting her in this at this time because, you know, the, the Star Wars prequels were going on at that time. And, I mean, this is the same... This was the same year that Revenge of the Sith came out, right? So those are basically over. Um, uh, and I, yeah. And I yeah. and I could see her wanting to do this, but at the same time, like, is she enough of a draw at this point where like she's the reason you're making it? I don't think so. So like mm, I just, no, I but like I don't think this really made a whole lot at the box office either. I mean it wasn't I mean, like it did it did for the time. I looked it up. It was a fifty four million dollar budget and it made one thirty four. So it wasn't you know, it wasn't like mm. gangbusters, but it wasn't you know, it didn't. Yeah, but this is this people. is right around the same time where like some of Frank uh, Frank Miller's stories were getting adapted. Like some of the more independent, kind of like darker, weirder, like not mainstream comics were kind of getting yeah, like yeah. pushed. Like three hundred, like would have been not long, long after this. Like it was, was at, two it, years after this. Yeah, so like it, it was right in that like initial chunk of like okay, Marvel and DC are starting to, like, do some things with, like, the Spider-Man and X-Men and the fucking whatever's, right? But, like, yeah. and the, the, the Dark Knight movies. Forward. Yeah, yeah, okay, there you go, yeah. right? And that was a Frank, basically a Frank Miller story. Didn't yeah. land as well yeah, as they thought, but uh, it was a Frank Miller story. So, yeah. like, and Frank Miller and Alan, they were, their stories, their, their, their graphics were, like, pretty in demand at this point, right? Yep. So, like... And what... His uh, name, plus Hugo Weaving, like we said earlier, coming off of like Lord of the Rings and the Matrix, he had enough of a name to draw a bit of a crowd. She had enough of a name to draw a bit of a crowd. John Hurt's been around for a hundred years at this point, so like everybody fucking knew what he was going to bring. So like he didn't hurt having his name in the credits. You know what I mean? So like yeah. it, it was kind of uh, a perfect, and, and even the Wachowski's name being attached and in the writing team. So like. It, it kind of they all drew a little bit of their own audience into it to make a, a somewhat of a perfect storm, in a way, for like yeah, box I office. This, I saw this in the theater. I know I contributed to that. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, my my one real hang up 
and you know, I don't know if maybe the comic does this a little differently, but after the bit where she does the thing for him with the priest, she freaks out and tries to get away from him with that. And she goes out the window of the building and she gets uh, arrested by, you assume, one of the finger dudes. So well, she goes, uh, she goes to Stephen first. Yes. Yeah, she runs oh, away yeah. from V because she thinks she realizes, wow, this guy's actually like not only fucking dangerous, but like like scary. Like <laughs> he's kind yeah. of a fucking yeah, like he is a terrorist. So she yep. goes to Stephen Fry's because she thinks he's gonna hide her. There's a really good like back and forth where he like He's not living in luxury, but like he's not afraid to go out and enjoy the things he enjoys, even though they're considered taboo by society right now. And then she's like, well, why are you so brave? Like, what gives you this push? And he's like, well, I mean, I'm fucking gay. Like, that's a big no-no. So, I mean, after that, like, I'm going to die if they find that out anyway. So might as well just enjoy the things I enjoy in the rest of my life. And it's like, that's actually like a very solid message. Like, like yeah. you, you can really, only deal really with what you're given. I really appreciated that whole thing and just the fact that it wasn't like, you know, the movie didn't suddenly become about that. Like it was an impo- it was an important symbolic and thematic thing, but it wasn't suddenly like it wasn't like all whole... that his character was about. Yeah. Yep. Right. Like and the whole movie it was a part of his character. He's yeah, and like it, they don't just make him the gay character. Like his whole point is to right. show you that, like even in the shittiest of societies, like you have to be able to enjoy the little things, or else you become the idea mm-hmm. that is V. Like this, just this herd knows, like the idea is all that matters. There is no personality. Like he's saying, no, you yeah. have to keep some of your personality, or else you lose you. And that's the worst yeah. thing that can happen in the society is that you just give up. You just let yeah. yourself become part of the machine instead of just being an individual. And like, again, like every character is actually like a really, a really good metaphor for an idea in its own right. And like, yeah. like uh, Natalie Portman's character is basically the audience. So like you're seeing the other three or four points of view between the main finger man guy or V or Stephen Fry's character, or even like, the dictates from the chancellor on TV that like that she has to follow in her daily life. Right. Like or the cop who she, we haven't she, talked about at all. Well, and yeah, again, that's, yeah, that's the one she interacts with. It's just supposed to be the stand in for the chancellor, but like he is the, the fist of the machine. Whereas the chancellor is the mouth of the machine. So like they both kind of work together in the same role in a sense. Yep. Uh, so while she's with, Stephen Fry, the fingermen go after Stephen Fry, but because he does this thing on his TV show that criticizes Sutler, so they get pissed off and go after him. Mm-hmm. Um, so then she escapes. Which the yes, like in in the comic, I do believe she's like more of a research journalist for him, and not just a like secretary like she is in the movie. So like, yeah, she's the one who finds out the information in the first place, which kind of leads to her giving it to him when she runs away in this scene and then he goes on and does the thing and that yeah I almost he, wonder he spreads if the, the movie, message from there so I almost wonder if the movie makes a choice not to make her that because because it needs thing, that to be the audience character the audience viewpoint character more so than like the whole thing is kind of about her 
you know, to use kind of what we would consider a charged term at this point, it's kind of about her radicalization, right? And if she's already mm. sort of halfway there anyway, by the time it even well, starts, it's, they... it's not even just her radicalization, but it's like her deprogramming from what everything in society is telling her is like, no, this is what you have to do because we said so. Like, don't believe your eyes, yep. believe us. Like, yep. Like, so, yeah. This leads to my my one hang-up, right? In the sense of she gets bagged by what we assume is one of the fingermen. There's a fairly long sequence where she's, you know, has her head shaved and she's thrown in a jail cell and whatever, and she's uh doing that and she sits in a jail cell. <laughs> when life. she's in when she's in the jail cell, she finds notes that were written by other what she assumes were prisoners in this jail. So like you're getting a lot of like just different people who were like in prison. Like there was a, the lesbian lady who like locked up for just being a lesbian and like the story of her and her girlfriend and how they met. And like, there's a lot of the emotional like tissue of the movie in this jail scene. But like yeah, when you, funny, when funny. you step outside of it and you know where it goes from there, like there's a lot of weird, like Stockholm syndrome things going on with her yeah. character. And then like, there's a lot of like really weird things like, basically being a fucking cult but basically being ezra miller more or less mm-hmm. yeah that's, like that's, the, that's that's kind of what my hang-up is because eventually she escapes this because she figures out it's not real because v was imprisoning her and what i what i couldn't and you know when i saw it originally i don't think it really registered with me in that way but Seeing it again, I was just like, why does she, after that, why, and he doesn't really offer, like, any particularly great explanation for it. He's just kind of like, well, I had to do it because um, I had to be sure that if somebody caught you, you wouldn't narc on me. And it's just like, well, there's probably easier ways to do that than what you just did. And um, that's a, uh, that's kind of a false equivalency, like... I think what it's supposed to like, and I'm not sure if they actually say it more outright in the book, but like he basically, it's not good enough that she understands him as the idea. He's trying to turn her into him. So like he had such a weird isolation in a cell. And like a lot of the stories that she's reading aren't from people in this prison that she thinks she's in. It's actually people that he knew in the institution he was in that he got fucked with by the scientist. Right. Like, right. and like, it's weird. Cause like, again, Alan Moore says they said they made him too sympathetic. And in a lot of ways they did throughout most of the movie. But then when it does this, it's like, it's like change on the character from the way his dynamic yeah, all, with her was through that. It's, it, you kill all it's such a hard, sympathy well, yeah, like it's such a hard thing to actually do right that like I'm not surprised it didn't entirely land, but they did a pretty good job with like how heavy and weird like all of the ideas that go into that chunk of the story are. You know what I mean? Like, because yeah. you're dealing with some really fucking heavy shit. Like, there's there's kidnapping, there's torture, there's fucking complete and total mind fucking manipulation. Like, there's real humane elements throughout like the notebooks that she's reading, and that's what's keeping her human in a lot of ways. At the like again there's a lot of really complex and hard ideas to write in any medium let alone in a movie that like so like the fact that they got as much of it across as well as they did i actually have to give some credit for even though i know it didn't actually land entirely for a lot a lot of it 
Like, yeah, I, I guess I just had trouble with like, and again, I think it's just watching it again with way more experience in life now that I, than I did it even at 28. Um, why does she ever go back to him after something like that? Like, I guess because, I, because again, like it's not, she does understand him beforehand, but like he needs almost her to become him once he's gone. And I think she starts to realize that like, yeah, what he stands for is important and someone does need to continue it. And yeah. she knows that he's actually probably going to succeed in what he's trying to do at the end of the movie. Right. So like, mm-hmm. I think like our, the whole thing is After basically, it shows her. Well, yeah, it's not even just, that was the whole point. And it's not just, but it's not just understanding the idea. Like at Again, he's an extremist. Like, he's the extreme on one side. And I'm going to say Stephen Fry is actually probably the extreme on the other, where it's like all he focuses on is how corrupt the politics are. And all Stephen Fry focuses on is like, hey, ignore it all and just enjoy stuff. So, like, she's kind of this weird, like, in between where it's like, which ideal do I go with? And, like, it's not good enough that she understands both. Like, for V, he almost has to have her become that thing in order to continue it right like and again it's a good metaphor for like extremism because like usually it's that's how it goes is there's one side that's like it's not good enough that you understand me you have to be exactly like me and i mean you can see that on either side of the aisle right so it's it's not a left or right thing it's just a an extremist thing like yep so basically i mean we're basic you know so you're probably at that point you're probably a couple months away from his whole i'm gonna blow up parliament (laughs) Um, and so then she goes away for a while and comes back to him, like, right, because he, he's going to let her leave, but he has one request that he wants to see her one more time before the 5th, because he's going to do this whole thing on November again. So she does go back to him, and then he basically gets, the one thing we haven't really touched, and, you know, I think we were coming up on the end here anyway, is that there's a whole thing with that cop played by Stephen Ray where he's trying to investigate like what's the connection between all these people he's murdering which is what where you figure out that all these people worked at that that institution that he was in and then mm-hmm. um they're able to and so he's able to get uh the cop does the cop actually help V get access to the black bag guy who who kidnapped Butler <laughs> for him or no I think the cop kind of just stumbles onto it as it happens and just lets it happen more so than actually helps him. If that meant like, you you know what I mean? Like, cause you find out that the, uh, the virus attack in London that occurs before the movie starts was actually engineered by Sutler because he wanted to take power in the resulting chaos, which he does. Uh Yeah. Um, So then, uh, uh, yeah. What was my line? <laughs> Eerily prophetic. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, so basically the end, end of the movie is basically, you know, Creedy decides to make a move on Sutler. And I thought it was interesting that V doesn't actually kill Sutler. He lets Creedy do it, which I think is another representation of this idea that Brent, you we've all been bringing up that V is more of an idea than a human. And so he uh-huh. can't actually he can't actually do that because it's like 
he can't and do anything. It's the idea, way. like in, in its simplest form, V is the idea of defiance, like just yep. th- that counterpoint mm-hmm. to the narrative. If you know what I mean, like mm-hmm. and like yeah. Natalie Portman's character is the one you see the change in throughout the whole movie, but like everyone he runs into that he doesn't kill does something yep. defiant not long after they run into him like Stephen fry making that report like the cop actually turning on the chance you know what i mean like there's a lot of there's a lot of that like everywhere he goes he give he spreads the idea that you don't have to take this shit like you can stand up and call bullshit when you see bullshit and yep. i and i get the well, symbolism of of v and everything like that but like at the end there when when he keeps shooting them and he's like, why aren't you dying? Why do you keep coming? And it's like, he's just like eating all these bullets. I'm like, wow. I got very much like Vin Diesel vibes. Like when he gets like, you know, thrown off a building and he like walks over without a scratch on him. Like, well, that's, you know. that's a tale as old as time. That's William yeah. Wallace. Yeah, that's Ned right. Kelly. That that's fucking, uh, uh what's his face. He got lit up. He got lit up with like 50 bullets. Yeah. But I mean, I again, that, that that's, but get William Wallace gets fucking laced with fucking 700 arrows and he still fucking yells freedom. Like Ned Kelly yeah. makes his final stand, runs up against all the fucking guns in, uh, in Australia at the time. Right. You got right. Yeah. Uh, Mikhail or what is it? I can't remember his first name, but Rasputin in Russia. Like they yeah. stabbed him. They poisoned him. They fucking set him on I mean, fire. They threw him off a bridge. And he's still, and that crazy motherfucker still crawled fucking 30 feet off the fucking river that he was in. Like, it's just it's the spirit of defiance like that's you can throw everything you want at them and that idea will it will the idea will flourish basically like and it's it's a spirit you can't kill is basically what the point of it is but like yeah there's a hundred thousand stories over history where you've got that that idea yeah and that's that's all that's supposed to be is just a visual representation representation of that right I think I think I think the problem with this movie for me was that it was just a little too. <laughs> yeah, um, they they probably could have dropped one or two of those submachine guns. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like 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 I think full of five I think or I six. Like it, I was taking it at like face value for most of it because some of it it is, some of it it isn't, and I, I guess I wasn't really looking at it fourth dimensionally, which well, I guess just it's with this movie with but, with this one every character every yeah. moment is a metaphor for an idea and like yeah there's some of the again and when you share the Wachowskis you do get a little of that over the toppy like yeah you probably could have had a Boromir scene where it was like three or four bullets and he just kept coming and got the same idea across but you know what I mean like flashy american action movie you got to make it big and over the top right mm. um, yeah like so basically but it does yeah, explain he got, how he survived all the gunfire and even with all the, with I mean, the he has superpowers allowed him to survive he still well that and they do establish he has superpowers still kill him so yeah yeah and it's before he can actually finish like he kills all the cops sure but like he can't get the lever pulled on the train so like again she does become the embodiment of the idea by being the one who puts the hat on his chest gives him his goodbye and finishes his idea right like let me ask you a question brent was he ever supposed to do that like isn't the whole idea that he gave them the schools to do that but somebody else had to make the choice to do it this is what i always interpret Yes, like yeah. the idea can only go so far if you don't have the people to stand behind the idea, it dies. If you have the people to stand behind the idea, you fireworks. 
right? Yep. Yeah, so, yeah, the whole thing ends with, you know, he basically has a subway train full of explosives set to go automatically into the parliament building and blow up. And he dies, and his body is on the train, and as you said, Portman has to throw the switch to get the whole thing to run, and then basically ends with that, exp- it ends with that explosion and a bunch of people in the street in the fox masks and you know ah, but you see the entire movie one thing we did not say is that v very much has a flair for the theatrical if you're going to make oh, the yeah. bang that's just the thing but you have to give him a show afterwards so not only did he have explosives he had fireworks too so like the people that watched the parliament blow up and realize like wow we can actually rebuild our entire lives and be like freedom-minded instead of ruled by the chancellor they also get like this nice little light show at the same time so it's like yeah. It's that dazzle and wonder to just keep the idea alive. Like it's not just a scary terror event, but you know, hey, it's it's kind of a Fourth of July too, right? Yeah. Yep. No, or, well, I a thought fifth of November. And, and, now, and one thing that the movie does well is when you look faces in ask when they come off, it's basically all the people who have died in the movie. Yeah, yep. I had that yeah. point, and like me. I didn't notice that. And like even mm-hmm. like the the lesbian lady whose story Natalie yep. Portman reads in the cell is one of the mm-hmm. ones who takes the mask off, and it shows that like all of these people are part of the idea. Like they all, yeah. It's not just one person. It's not just one thing. The only way to change is if you actually look and see that like all of society does have kind of one view, like not one viewpoint, but like they all contribute to. Like it's the differences that make up the reason to change the re- the need for the idea of dissent. You know what I mean? Like, mm. yep. It's again like yeah. Alan Moore is. It's never just an easy, straightforward idea. Like he's always really complex and really metaphorical in a lot of stuff. And like, yeah, like I said, oddly prophetic in a lot of ways with like where he saw the world going. But like the messages of the characters and like the idea behind what he's writing about ideas is actually like really it's really informative like if you can like again i read this shit when i was like 15 16 17 and like this is the kind of things that i kind of base my whole worldview around so like this is why i'm so like critical of like all of the bullshit that i see whether it's from my side quote quotation marks of an argument or not right like whether i agree with the end point that you're making like i like to see the logic of where you're getting at so i know that like your idea is not just coming out of fucking nowhere or just being repeated that like you actually have the thought to go with the idea. Right. Like, Mm, and like, there's not enough stories in the world today that are doing stuff like that to make people actually learn to think critically like that. You know what I mean? Like a lot of it's just, Oh, I heard this thing. That must be true. Cause it came from someone that I trust. And like, sometimes even the people you trust don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Right. So like you Mm. have to be able to form your own thoughts and like be a part of that idea. And like, yeah like there's a lot of it that like it's just there's so much of this stuff that's so important to like stuff today like we keep saying throughout this podcast that like you're not getting in any of the disney shows like there's no there's no honest look from the opposite side of like an argument you know what i mean it's all just like no this is the what i believe in and if you don't believe this go fuck yourself you must be this 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 that's bad like there's never any nuance to the opposite side of the aisle anymore you know what i mean like yeah. Yep. And that then that's coming from like 
from all sides of entertainment too. Cause like you've got like the daily wire trying to crack out some of their stuff and that's very, our side is right. And your side isn't in a lot of stuff too. And it's like, no, that's mm. not like, nobody is always right. A hundred percent of the time. Like no one is like clear cut. Oh, like shining. Like nobody is this captain America. You know what I mean? Like the, the Steve Rogers, captain America, where like everything they do is a good thing. And like, you know, their moral center is like, always aimed at pure fucking north right like you i don't know i don't know it's yeah. never as easy no, as like black and white like even no, the worst we, even we the worst opinion saying, like yeah like it's such a hard idea to actually word out but like this i think is what's lacking in a lot of entertainment today is like there's no there's nothing like that that makes you actually think like puzzle through your own ideas anymore yeah. Well, because I mean, the problem, the main problem becomes is that they want you, they want you to be persuaded to one idea or the other. They don't want you to think for yourself. They want you to be like, this is what I'm saying. I am right. You are wrong. End of story. And that's how everything is nowadays. So they try to blatantly tell you something at the end where you have like an actual thing at the end that you're supposed to know and that that is the reason why they just told you the story as opposed to oh well maybe it's this or maybe it's that or maybe this is bad and maybe that's good or whatever you know yeah. what i mean because i have to be right you have to be wrong end of story move on but like and like this whole like you're never allowed to be offensive bothers the shit out of me because like mm. And I'm not saying, like, just go out and be a fucking absolute asshole to everybody. That's not cool. Like, you know what I mean? There's a moral point to everything. But, like, if you're not allowed to be, a, like, if you can't take the chance of being offensive, you, you can't be thought-provoking. Because, like, half of the point in provoking any yeah. thought is, like, the, the fact that you might offend somebody by saying something that they don't like. But it doesn't well, mean that you're being an asshole. It just yeah. means you're actually trying to puzzle through something, right? And that's well, kind that's of, like... A Again, that's, that's what Alan Moore has always, you know I mean? always, pardon? That's an overcorrection, you know what I mean? Because for it so is. long, it was, oh yeah, let's make fun of this and let's make fun of that. And then you had, so you had shows like Family Guy and South Park and Simpsons, where like you just had like everybody making fun of everybody for everything. And then you had comedians making fun of everybody for everything. And so now that we're trying to reclaim the idea of like people's feelings and how people feel about things and stuff like that, and about like trying to make mental health like something more prominent that people should be thinking about, it's almost like they're going too much in the opposite direction where like in order to protect people, you need to stop making fun of people and you need to be more mindful of your language and this and that. Yeah, but it's, it's not even just that, that though. Like, you basically just make a world of sissies and then that's going to like, you know, cause like an overcorrection again. You know what I mean? But it's, it's not even just that because it's, it's not a straight out you can't make fun of anybody. Like it's like they made a, a tier system of who's allowed to be made fun of. So like... Mm all of the like stupid characters are always either white or male or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and all well, like, yeah, because that's also, and the you, thing you can, too, is that, and then know, like, like we've been complaining, I've been complaining about this the whole time we've been doing the podcast. Like once you get into that kind of thing, then you get into like, Oh, well you can only write this character this way because you're not allowed to make fun of this trait or that trait, but you have to have mm -hmm. these traits in the movie. And it's like, well, no, some of this is absurd. Like, you have to be allowed to point out the absurdity, even if it's not being mean about the way you point out that absurdity. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, like, cause the, cause the thing nowadays is, you know, make, make the person you're making fun of an old white 
and you know that'll you know that'll that'll get them you know what i mean and that's what it is because you know everybody who's writing everything you know sees it that way unfortunately because that's kind of what hollywood has become is you know yeah. you you kind of make like the old white guy like the villain of everything or the punchline of everything now you know what i mean instead of everybody else being the punchline you know because well, it's like, it. well, like now we're getting back like, at them but it's like, like you, you know you it's not about, really like, how it should be but like you can even apply it like not even just to movies and stuff like you watch a t like any random tv commercial like it's always a white like usually it's a white man or at least a man who doesn't know what the fuck they're doing with any tool out in the yard or in the in the helm the woman comes in looks at him like he's a fucking moron shows him how to do it like it's everything now like it's mm -hmm. it, it's just become such a stereotype of the dumb white guy. And it's like, yep. okay. And then you, if you try and bring something like this up, then they go, oh, well, white fragility. And it's like, no, it's not that. It's just you're, you're actually making your product worse by just trying to mm -hmm. pander to everybody else. Like, give everybody a fair shot. Like, yes, have a, like an okay white father in a TV show once in a while. Like, mm -hmm. look at She-Hulk, which I mean, okay, there was a lot of terrible writing in every aspect of that. But look at her, look at her father. He was a bumbling mm. moron the whole time. Like there was no, like he didn't give her an encouraging message of like, you know what? Just be yourself. It doesn't matter if you're big and green or if you're just a tiny little lawyer, like nothing like that was in that character. It was just, he was the butt of the joke every time he showed up. And that was a mm. terrible waste of cousin yeah. Larry Appleton. Now here's, <laughs> here's the final thought. I want to kind of, here's my closing thought. Anyway, and we've been going for a bit now. Um, yeah. I, sorry, even, no, it's fine. I think it's it's a valid discussion to have sprung off of this. I mean, it's just yeah. No, I I think this is probably one of the better things we've done lately. So I'm not opposed to that. Um, I guess my the thing I kept coming back to even in '05 when this was originally released, but especially now, like I was surprised in '05 with you know as much open textual stuff in this movie as there is about like blowing up buildings and shit, like. How was this even made four years yeah. after 9-11? And especially because it was set now, in like, yeah, and especially now. Because it was like, set in Britain, not America. If you would have tried it, to actually yeah. copy this movie and set it in America, no, -uh, you would have been shut down if you tried to blow up the fucking. Yep. fucking I mean, especially you'd never get away with it nowadays after fucking yep. J6. Exactly. Yep. You were so still shut down. Was, you, you're still shut down now because even then when Brent was trying to say it, he kept breaking up. So, you know, the internet yeah. doesn't even want him to say what he was trying to say. <laughs> exactly. Right. The other the other question <laughs> I had as I was watching it last week was how had the the and you know, I'm not generally somebody who wants to take a position on this either way, but how had the PC police not wiped every occurrence of this movie off the fucking planet? Because right it's now. not it's not super popular, so so it's not yeah, something I, that they've gone after. If it was if it was Batman that did V versus Vendetta or V for Vendetta, then you know it would be different. But V for Vendetta yep. is not like a super popular you know, movie, I, and it's know, only popular honestly, within certain like audiences. You know, I stand by yeah, the fact probably. that it's set in Britain. The fact that yeah, it's set in so Britain, like if any of this was set in America, it would be gone after and shut down because all oh, evil oh. fucking right wing or all oh, the fucking left wing, whatever, like whichever side of the argument you want to think would mm. cancel it, like it would be. But where it's set yeah. in England, that nobody gives a shit because oh yeah, well fuck them, they're all Brexiteers anyway. They didn't well, want to be part of the the fucking the unity mm. or the utopia or whatever the fuck these idiots think that they're fucking working towards. Mm. 
Yeah. And that's, well, that's that, the worst and, thing. Know, like, like most, most Americans don't even know how like Britain and everything works. So it's like, you know, like right and left over there is like different. Like the yeah. right is like the left and the left is like the right or whatever. Like it's like, it's, it's, it's very different how everything is worked over there that like, they can't even like make a solid argument as to why it would or wouldn't work. Um, but if, like you said, like if it was said in America, they could be like, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, like they can go after something like Watchmen and they can, they can take Watchmen and they can flip it around and go, well, you know, um, the new Watchmen is a lot better because now we have a strong black woman as the lead. And so now that, and, and she's taking on like the Ku Klux Klan and stuff like that and, and white supremacism. And, you know, so that's why this one is so much better than the movie because the like, movie is just working like, on the I white think, male I think we uh, do view of you know right wingism. And the thing is, like, I think we do need stories that like deal with like real crazy fucked up issues. Like, hey, how do you fight like mm. a modern day like KKK type of group? Which oh, like exactly. And I mean, like, there are some out there where the right wing wants to pretend there's not or not. There are some mm. that are that extreme. Like a lot oh, of yeah. the right wing, a lot of the like rational right wing has denounced these groups but they are out there so like i would like to see an honest story told where like almost something like larry elder where like he's a black man that literally went to clan meetings he's got over 75 fucking clan hoods in his closet of people that he converted just by going to the meetings and talking to them afterwards instead of just being like "Mm -mm, i'm this kind of person and you need to accept me no he didn't do that he had a rational conversation with them. He walked into a group of them and said, why do you hate me? Like, and then he sat down, they actually talked, realized they had more in common than they had and didn't apart from one another. And he actually converted a lot of these racist idiots who just didn't ever hear a normal black person say anything. Right. So like you need stories like that. So like, but you're not getting that you're getting all these pandery things where like, Oh, the black person can only be portrayed in this direction, this direction or this direction. They can never have any nuance to them. And if anybody gives them any opposition in any kind of way, it has to be a white character when it's like, no, like if you look at a lot of the struggles in a lot of these like ethnic communities, most of the people that are trying to make change, the stand back, the blowback they get isn't from some racist white fuck. It's usually from the people in their own community. They just don't know that there can be another way. Right. And I mean, it's not even just ethnic groups. There's a lot of fucking white groups. Like I said, with the KKK, Mm -hmm. like, all you need to do is say, like, no, like, this is where you think you're coming from, but, like, there's also this, this, and this that you're not seeing because of the way the more the media is portraying a lot of these things. And, like, the more that you're just shitting on white men, the more you're creating these stupid racist white people that don't know what the fuck they're talking about because they've never seen another way, right? Like, yeah, it's, the same, it's, it's the same thing they, unfortunately, it's the same thing they did to the blacks and the Japanese back in the fucking... 30s 40s 50s world mm-hmm. war ii type like you know what i mean they were always portrayed as the bad guy or the like the street fucking pusher or the pimp or the drug dealer mm-hmm. like they never had a positive influence to look up to in a lot of those things until like what bill cosby came along <laughs> yeah like, look how that went well i mean yeah. hindsight 50 50 but i mean like he was someone that the black kids could look up to that had a relatively in as far as anybody knew up until a few years ago, a relatively clean cut life. And this is my biggest thing with that fucking ignorant jackass Jada Pinkett. Like she literally is destroying Will Smith's entire history. Like that is one of the very few black 
actors in my generation that I can think of that never had any major scandals, always led a, like a relatively normal family life, like had a wife, had children, never fucking did like, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah. she's destroyed it in literally a year and a half with the stories that she said, or the, like what she made him do at the Oscars and like, Oh, he did it himself. No, the look she gave him, he wasn't going to do that unless she threw a hissy fit. And she, oh, like, she literally order. destroyed. But like, she, again, like she literally destroyed this man's yeah. like whole reputation, and like not only his reputation, but that it destroyed an idol for a lot of these well, young black men well, to look up to. Like she's like she like most emotionally manipul manipulated him. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. unfortunately, he was kind of it kind of seems like he was he was in that thing where like he wanted to be like you know the person who people could look up to like that and everything like that so i think he was willing to <laughs> the pun um I, he was willing to keep the facade and everything just so that way he could still be that guy for a lot of people even though you know his life had seemingly gone to shit over the last decade and yes, nobody like, really and knew it you know? And the thing is, he never ran out and like, okay, I got a better pun for you. He was between a rock and a hard place. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but like, really, Keep like, he never went, your fucking <laughs> he never really fucking went out and like made a big media spectacle of it. He said, okay, I shouldn't have did it. I'm sorry. And he let mm -hmm. it go. He took the punishment that he had. He never fucking opened his mouth. And then the last three months, all she's done is shit on him and made him look even worse the whole way. And like, you're just tainting someone that these kids could look up to like an actual, someone who mm -hmm. could be that positive role model. Right. Cause like how many, yeah. like look in, look in sports, like how many even black athletes have never had a scandal. You know yeah, what I mean? Like those aren't the ones you yeah. hear about. Well, no. that's the thing. Like how many of them are the, the top of the top? You know what I mean? Like, like Terry Crews doesn't seem like he's ever really had many major scandals in his life, but he's not the caliber that Will Smith is like, you know what I, I mean? Know. Like, yeah, the only other actor I can think of that hasn't really had any scandals in his is, is Denzel. Really, yeah. like of that oh, yeah. Yeah. somewhat of that caliber, like, you know what I mean? Like one of the highest paid actors of his generation, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's not enough of these role models yeah. and there's or, not enough. of the, like, And then you get Morgan people Freeman. and then who oh, Morgan Freeman. That's a good one. But again, he's kind of the generation yeah. before, like he didn't even get big until he was fucking a senior citizen. Like, right, right, but like, Guys, like that is a good one though. Samuel L. Jackson, yeah. he's had like a bit of history, but nothing like overly scandalous. So like, there's another like, there are yeah. some, but like, you know what I mean? Like, when you're looking at the absolute top tier of like the black actors of our day, like Will Smith was up there. Like, never had any real reputation problem. Well, yeah, yeah, sure, people yeah. didn't like him. They clashed with him on a movie here or there, but like, he always seemed like a nice guy that was nice to interviewers good family man, good role model, right? And now that's gone. And like, that yeah. wasn't white people that destroyed that. That was his own wife. That was his own it's community. Right. That, yeah. yeah, and it's like, it's so sad yeah. when you see stuff like this happen and then you just, oh, it's just racism. It's just racism that did it. And it's like, no, there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of conversation that should be had here that we're just not allowed to have anymore. And like, yep. yeah. again, like, it's the idea. And like, this is why like Alan Moore, even Frank Miller back in the eighties, not so much once he got into like all-star Batman and stuff like shut the fuck up, Robin, you're 12, you know, 
Yeah, like go eat a rat, kid. Like, no, okay, that's no, fuck off, Frank. But like, there was a lot of like yeah. really smart social commentary that, like, if you introduce this to kids at 16, 17 years old, like, it really did help them become like form thoughts mm. that led them to be really like open minded and like productive people in society, right? Like, well, I think, but I think now everything's happens, so, I think now everything's so like, closed. Like, everything's so closed yeah. off and like you don't get any nuance in stories you don't get any like honest like okay the last like good storytelling director that i've seen any movies from was probably clint eastwood martin scorsese maybe but like those are all mob stories <laughs> they're not exactly like something yeah. to look up to stories but like you look yeah. at like clint eastwood there's a lot of like even like grand torino or like million dollar baby like stuff that he's okay it may have adapted from something else but like it's still like something that is thought-provoking like it's not just a simple feel good story or like something that's so full of fluff that it has no consequence two minutes later. You know what I mean? Like you don't yeah. get a Shawshank redemption anymore. You don't get a Forrest Gump anymore. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, yeah, and was, especially uh... Shawshank where like you look at the cast in that, like one of the most prominent actors in that movie was a black man, Morgan Freeman. And like, excellent character nobody ever bitched and complained oh a black man in a fucking prison in 1930 like you didn't hear any of that racist bullshit back then because nobody did that back then mm. right yep i mean you didn't have the internet mm. amplifying every fucking stupid idea a hundredfold either but like eh, I, I don't know like i said like watching stuff like v for vendetta like even though it was only 15 years ago it makes me miss when people actually like made their audience think they weren't afraid of making their audience think yeah right no even but even then like even then like you look at a movie like v for vendetta you know you know it it doesn't lean one way or the other but if you think about it a lot of these um you know socialist or like you know um all these like authoritarian like Mm -hmm. regimes you know you can kind of make parallels to some of these thoughts and ideas in your own like political Mm -hmm. realms and and kind of going based on what you were saying about how like you know a lot of times it's like it's like black people doing things to black people in a lot of these communities well the problem is is that they don't realize that a lot of these problems are because of these politicians that they keep Mm -hmm. you know voting in because they're going to give them something but then the problem is is that they're essentially just keeping them where they are instead exactly. of like they're, trying they're not to actually doing anything get people in there that will help them you know or help the community in general you know well prosper, that's just it they're, you know? they're not actually helping these communities grow out mm-hmm. of the situation they're in they're actually making systems that keep them in those situations so they keep voting for they, them they, and like yeah. and this is the problem where like especially down in like no offense guys but with the two-party system in america this mm-hmm. is your biggest problem is because it's yep. always going to be i'll do this and the other side say oh well i'll do the exact opposite none of them mean it and there's no one to force any change and it, it's i mean canada's political system is fucking ridiculous too but i mean at least in theory we have three to five like relevant parties in any given election right so like yeah. Yeah. if left which would be the liberals and right which would be conservatives are well i guess technically our far left would be ndp and the liberals are supposed to be the center but like Anyway, we'll just use liberals as left and conservative as right because that's what See, most like of the even, rest of the world like, knows. Even of us. that, not to not to interrupt you, Brent, but even like that, like people don't understand that in Canada, like liberals no. are actually in the middle. Like, no, and that's you the know thing. What like, I mean? like Miles tried to argue with me as like somebody who's like super left. You know what I mean? Like it's crazy. 
Well, that's the thing. Like, and Miles used to try and argue with me about Canadian politics back on the fucking Schmoes No page. And I was like, you know nothing about what you speak. Like, because like he'd try and say, oh, well, it's only a two party system in Canada. And it's like, no, the NDP party has had prime ministers in Canada several times in my lifetime. Like, they are a viable party. And usually they get voted when the other two sound so fucking retarded that nobody can actually, in good conscience, vote for them. But our problem right now is that the NDP is the same thing as the Liberals, and now it's becoming a two-party split, even though there's three parties to vote for there, right? Like, But that's a whole different ballgame. Like, again, like the more you, like, the politicians get more power by keeping these people in, oh, here, we'll give you this, but you gotta let us have this thing, and then when they take that thing, then they turn that into a law that ends up benefiting the rich and powerful politicians and not anybody else. And it's, mm-hmm. ugh, Okay. There's uh, so many rules. No one can say this to you. This, and it's, there's so much of that right now. It's like, okay, you have to go back in every country in the world and go, if one law can't apply to everybody, whether that's the poorest person, the richest person, the like least powerful or the most powerful politician, it's not a good rule. Throw it away. Start with something new that can actually apply to everybody. Right? Yeah, that's actually a good end yeah. note, really. Um, <laughs> so. the, su- the subtitle to this podcast Pent up Brent. (laughs) Brent up up frustration. It's like you've been stuck in a factory for seven months and not talking to anybody or something. (laughs) And I've been watching so much fucking ridiculousness from like literally a Ukrainian bringing a fucking SS officer to the Canadian parliament to get billions of dollars from them. Like that happened. You got the whole Ukraine war that just kind of went away over the last couple of weeks. You got the whole shit over in the Middle East that's just fucking a whole bag of insanity, no matter which way you want to split it, and I'd rather not get into that on a public forum right now. You've got all of the politics in every country just fucking literally scandal after scandal, and they're all just like, what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. On both sides, and it's just like, oh my fuck, like, and you wonder why the world is in the fucking state it's in. It's like nobody is competent right now, and it's because everybody's grown up, everybody that's becoming in positions of power are either so old and senile they don't have a fucking clue or they're coming from this generation where you're never allowed to offend them so if you say anything against them they wipe you out instead of actually having a conversation about your point of view like it's ridiculous it is absolutely ridiculous and like i hope with this podcast at least we're something of like a balanced set of different opinions that all are trying to push for some kind of normalcy like i'm with you on that man holy shit Again, months of this held in. So, yeah, sorry if that was a bit of a rant, yeah. but yeah, no, yeah, good. go I, go I, watch V yeah. for Vendetta. It actually applies. Yep. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we'll uh, I'll get this posted <laughs> for the fifth. Um, we do want this to come out on the fifth. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it makes the most oh, sense. Yeah. That, was yep, the- that was the idea oh, for I- it. Right? Okay. Yep. So I'll set it up to go out on the fifth, and we'll. Just, I'm gonna stop the robot, but just hang out for a sec because we have some other stuff we want to plan. So, hold on. Cool.